0: to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. We're going to continue our conversation this morning. We've entitled this little series on relationships, Me, You, Us, Them, However. Sorry, Me, You, Us, Them. Yeah, I got it right. And um, this morning, I want to just lean into something that I think for us as a community is an important aspect of relationship. And there would seem to be in the heart of God, a real desire for the church to reflect something of the Trinity. Um, You know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in perfect unity. There is no competition, no striving. Each one defers to the other, honors the other. And um, when God decided that he wanted to bring to earth his kingdom, he decided to build a group of people together and look around you. They're often an eclectic group of people. It's called the Ecclesia. He's called them into relationship with him. Amen? Three of us are happy about that, Jesus, that's good. And he's called them out of the culture of the world. He's called them into relationship with him and he's called them out of the culture of the world. And um, I think both those things, we're gonna spend the rest of our lives trying to fully understand. What does it mean for us to be in Christ? We know that positionally, we have been placed in Christ. He is our savior. He is the redeemer of our lives. He is the restorer of all things. And we work day by day to fully embrace and understand what it means for us to be in Christ. We are also not just in Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The book of Ephesians tells us that God raised us up with Christ. So the risen Christ seated in heavenly places means that the church positionally in Christ is above all powers and above all thrones, and God has placed a mandate on the church to bring life to every part of this world. We are a peculiar people, not because we've got odd personalities, but we are the only group of people on the planet who've been given a heavenly mandate to transform society. Amen. Turn to the person on your right-hand side and say, start this week. Start transforming society this week. Take it upon yourself to be bold enough to believe the Word of God. And remember this, that in every environment you stand in, you are the influencer. I hear lots of stories about how people are influencers. What they mean is they sell multiple products or shift people's thinking to a particular uh, dynamic or, or, of culture or, or nuance. But actually, the church are the greatest influence on this planet to bring the life of Jesus to all humanity. We are not a subservient, broken, bruised, well we are. But we are God's holy people set apart for God's great purposes. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how we, the Ecclesia, the body of Christ, should relate to one another this morning. And um, I hope this will be of advantage to you. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 for me please. We're going to read together from verses 3 to 8. I wonder, could we have it on the screen, if that's possible? Don't know if there's anybody in there, is there? It's just Jonathan, is it? Let's wait for it to go up. You don't mind just waiting a second, do you? I'd like you to see it yourselves. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. going to be worth it. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Okay. Why don't you read it out with me, please? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. I can't see what it says because I've only got mine here. It's Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. If you know where it is, just go to it and stop complaining. (laughs) Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and reminding them, in many ways, of this new reality that they're trying to grasp hold of and understand. The apostle Paul is inviting them to step away from some things and to embrace a whole other new, fresh experience of what life with Christ can truly look like. And he starts with this particular phrase, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, Paul is saying, you have seen how the world works. The world is full of people trying to make a name for themselves. The culture you were raised in was highly orientated to a trinity of me, myself, and I. This humanity has placed itself at the center of all that they think to be valuable and true. And Paul is simply highlighting for us that that kind of thinking and that kind of living is not something that will ever produce life in the kingdom of the heavens. Paul is saying you must leave all of that behind. Now, there lies one of the biggest issues for many of us, because what we try to do is have a hybrid of two cultures. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. And what that means is that we're not alien to the world, but we are the kind of people who live in the culture, but we live differently. We have a whole other perspective about what is real and what isn't real, about what is true and what isn't true. and Paul is simply highlighting that the church, therefore, must have a different orientation. You can't drag the culture of a broken, sinful world into the community of believers and expect that to work. This is not the world, this is the church. In other words, if we want to have the life that the Trinity can afford, we have to make up our minds as to whom and what resource we will use to decide how we live our lives. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. All vain conceit, very poignant, powerful words to us in an age where just about everything, everywhere in our culture, is based on selfish ambition and vanity. I've become an addict to TikTok. To my best will and power, I've tried to resist the temptation, but I have two ladies in my house who keep showing me dogs running around in various parts of the world, beautiful little puppies, and they've, in many ways, they've evangelized me. They've evangelized me. I now occasionally look at TikTok, and I find myself puzzled by the amount of interest I have in what other people are doing. There's almost like a a curiosity. Are you like this too? There's a curiosity that draws me in, and sometimes to my shame, 10 minutes can pass, and I'm looking at people extracting pimples from bodies I have no desire to see right through to people building swimming pools, speeded up videos, in the case of about two and a half minutes from around the world. There's just this massive, extreme dynamic of what people put on TikTok, and it is, and it was meant to be, and it's profoundly, I think, addictive. Because we are creative people, and we long to absorb information. And I believe the culture we're living in is profoundly engaging us with that kind of distraction. But that a gift of curiosity or that gift of fascination was given to us to look at the Lord and to see the Lord as he truly is. It wasn't given to us to while away many an hour on TikTok. As much as that may be entertaining, that's not going to reward our hearts, is it? But here's my point about TikTok. Everybody is a superstar. I mean, they take their pictures at just the right angle. I think some of them must have 40-foot arms because it's so far away from the screen. Everybody's well-presented, and, and they look sensational, and I find myself just aghast, I suppose, at how vain people can truly be about themselves. People can't get enough of themselves in this particular hour we're living in. Everybody wants to be discovered. Everybody wants to be famous. And everybody wants to be significant. That's the order of this world. That's how it looks. That's what's happening around us. And Paul says, if that's what you're after, you're gonna struggle in the kingdom of heaven. Because there's only one star here and his name is Christ Jesus. If that's what you're looking for, you're gonna compete with your brothers and your sisters because there can only be, by any logic, a handful of people that look important or significant. If you're searching to satisfy those appetites and needs in the church, you will come into all kinds of conflict with yourself and more importantly with the kingdom that God is trying to establish because that is not the kingdom that God wants to bring on earth. So he says, you have a default. I have a default. It's all about me. And he's asking us to leave all about me outside the door and come and discover this truth. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about his glory. It's all about his fame. It's all about his reality. Now, we're all nodding and saying, that's great. Thank you, pastor, for reminding us that the kingdom is not the same as the world. That the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, which is part of that kingdom, has a different culture and a different priority. But let me ask you this question. Have you been in church longer than five minutes? Because you will discover, as I have discovered, that sometimes these things that we're asked to leave outside, find them in here people fighting with people because they happen to get some kind of step up on the spiritual ladder people arguing with people because they think they have more rights to this chair or that place you know I've been in churches for a long time and people fall out over the strangest of things when we were in Glasgow we decided that we would put the bookshop at the back of the, the building. It was the biggest room, the auditorium, and the hallway was so narrow, and we had lots of resources, and people would come and have lots of ministry, and they would sell all of their resources. <clears throat> and a lady came to me, and she said, I'm leaving the church. Now, to be really honest with you, I was secretly happy. <laughs> just I'm just keeping it real for you, because she was, well... Paul refers to some things as a thorn in the side. Let's put it that way. And I thought, well, thank. Tha- oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you've arrived at that place. And I said, do you mind me asking why? And she said, because you have turned the house of the Lord into a den of robbers. I'm thinking, when did that happen? Because I must have slept through that. And she cited the scripture where Jesus turns over the tables in the temple because they were exploiting people. Now. I was trying to reason with an unreasonable person, because I was saying, well, where in this building does it become the house of the Lord? When you get out of the car and come through the front door? Is the foyer less holy than the auditorium? And if the auditorium is holy, how holy must the platform be? And if the platform is holy, how holy is this spot? We have all kinds of mindsets about what is or isn't appropriate, but she she left the church, and she left the church because we had brought the bookshop into the main auditorium. Strife. She had no problem in pointing out to me the error of my ways, and I was grateful for the conversation because it reminded me of some things, that sometimes people confuse religion with relationships. What God is searching for is hearts that are broken and contrite. It's not about some of the paraphernalia that gets in the way. But for her, she was highly principled about that. And she felt she could no longer worship with the God of Mammon, as she referred to it, in the back of the church. Which I must confess, even to this day, I'm slightly confused how she got there. But she had her agenda and she wanted to impose it upon us. And, you know, churches are full of people with opinions have you noticed that what would god prefer people with opinions or people with convictions you see everybody has an opinion it doesn't mean they're going to do anything but when you have a conviction you will move everything to be able to facilitate what god wants to do And so as a leadership, it's often a tricky thing to navigate people's opinions. Some people think we should have more worship. Some people think we should have less. Some people think we should preach for five minutes. Our African brothers and sisters, thank you for this. You think we should preach for three hours. I'm working up to that level, and one day I will go to Nigeria. (laughs) Some people think we should have contemporary songs with smoke machine and flashing lights. Other people think it's counterfeit. If the glory is going to come, we just need God to move. Some people think the blinds should be up. Some people think they should be down. Other people want the heating roaring. Other people think it's too warm. If you're going through the menopause, you don't want the heating on. Okay, you want the windows open. The church is full of people with opinions. Opinions that have been shaped in many ways by the culture in which we live. And we bring our opinion and we place it in the house of God And somebody else may have a different one and another one. And what happens is we're not understanding something here. Everything I believe to be valuable or true must always be submitted to the one who is God. It may be my opinion, but I have no right to impose it upon anybody else. My opinion is simply my opinion. And I use this phrase many times with Christian leaders. When your preference becomes a prejudice, you have a problem. And so whatever we think this should look like, it's clear to me from the scriptures that Paul is reminding us that if we want to experience heaven on earth, if we want to experience the power of love, if we want to experience true relationships from a kingdom dynamic, we must not come into the house of the Lord. We must not do anything with selfish ambition. And you know what, that's our default. That's the way we live in the world. Now the word that Paul is trying to drum home to these people is a word that I think somehow has been absent from our culture in the West for a long, long time. And he is trying to invite people to think honorably and to honor one another courageously and sacrificially. Now the word honor, I don't know what you believe about that, is not in the scriptures given to people who have titles. The word honor is given to those who belong to Christ and have relationship with him. You know, Jesus was a counter-terrorist where it came to hierarchical structures. He completely ignored all of the worldly systems in the church and went straight to the ordinary broken people that needed God. The hierarchical structures, in some senses, for him created all kinds of nuances that did not reflect the reality of the honor that existed in heaven. You see, honor was given to people because they happened to have a title. Honor was given to people because they happened to have money. Honor was given to people because they happened to be born of a particular family. Can I just say to you, all of those things, they are left at the door. When we come into this gathering, when the church gathers, we are one body. Now, we may have different lifestyles and different experiences and different natural cultures, but there is a supernatural culture called the kingdom of heaven that requires of us that we leave ourselves without any doubt that Jesus is at the center of everything that happens. Now, the New Testament word for honor simply means to esteem or to hold in great respect or to place value on a person. I think one expositor said, honor means to ascribe a high place on someone to the point that we give them preference over our own life. Now, pause for a moment and imagine what that kind of culture could look like. Imagine we, as a group of people, decided to adopt heaven's culture, which is a culture of honor, and allow that to be our priority and our posture of heart amongst each other. Can you imagine the kind of conversations that people would have about this institution outside of this room? Could you imagine how those who've been dishonored by life would find a place of refuge and strength in an environment where acceptance wasn't just tolerance, but it was veneration. In other words, we honored one another, not depending on their social status, educational prowess, or even their particular ethnicity, but we honored everybody because everybody was created in the image of God and therefore we live as the Trinity live in a consistent atmosphere of honor. I think that kind of environment, the Holy Spirit would love to be in the middle of. I think when we honor one another, God's kingdom comes amongst us. And we have these little moments where the Spirit moves and they are but little moments, but actually God wants all of this to be consumed by his presence. And honor, the culture of honor, will attract the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. When brother and sisters dwell together in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. The father loves the son and the son loves the father and the spirit loves the son and the son loves the spirit and they are one though they are three in heaven there is no strife there is no competition there is no pecking order of importance all are one and in heaven when Jesus calls heaven to earth in the Lord's Prayer He's calling that oneness and that fullness and that honor down here on earth. He's saying, kingdom of God, come. Will of God be done. We must be very, very cautious with how we enter into God's presence and be very careful to leave behind inferior cultures at the door. For otherwise, we will have this kind of dysfunctionality, I think, spiritually, where we bring our agendas into the house of God and fail to understand the only agenda that really matters here is God's and God's alone. It's his church. And the good news is he promised he would build it. Now, I'm not asking you to lose sight of your culture. I'm not asking you to renege any responsibility for that which God has placed in your hands to do. I'm simply suggesting that if we want the spirit to move in power, let me ask you that question. Is that something you want? Now we've seen moments where God has touched and healed but you know we have been promised as you you were here last week or David and Greta were here we've been promised this consistent elevation to an open heaven experience where we will see God in his fullness move powerfully even in our weakness for that to happen I may need to step away you may need to step away from what you want so that God can have what he wants and we won't do that very easily Because we're in a world where we have to fight to be heard and fight to be seen. But actually, you're not the person that's in the spotlight in this house. And neither am I. The person that's in the spotlight in this house is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be glorified. He will be magnified. And we will lift him high. So let's move away from that thought for a second. He says, have this mind amongst you. In other words, this requires a whole new way of thinking. It requires a diligence in the way we perceive things. It requires a renewal of certain life experiences that we've had. It requires our minds being washed clean by the Word of God and the power of the Spirit. It requires us to have an upgraded brilliance that right now we are a little dysfunctional in. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This mindset means that I don't have to fight as an orphan to be seen. In fact, here's my goal. I come to church to see. I come to church to speak life over people. I come to church to call greatness out of people. I come into the house of God to do what God himself would do and raise people up out of the mire and the clay of their life. I don't come into this house with my agenda for this gathering. I come into this house to serve his agenda for this gathering. And as I sit amongst people who need Jesus, my role is therefore not to get something from God particularly, but to give something from God to the person who's sitting next to me. There are two types of people I find in this world there's the here I am people. Look at me, I'm fabulous, I can prophesy. But that's the old mindset from outside in the world where we draw attention to something we have or something we think we contribute. Here's the mind of Christ. Oh, there you are. I've been looking for you. I meet all kinds of leaders and have for many years and many of them sadly still want to be famous. They still want international acclaim, they still want their name and books and whatever else, but you know, I thank God that God, well, he broke something in me a couple of years ago that I didn't even know was in me, and it's the greatest joy to be free, (laughs) to be free from any personal ambition. In fact, at first, it really shocked me. It shocked me that I had some, and then it shocked me that I lost it. My agenda here with you is not to build a name for myself. I don't even want my picture on the website. They keep fighting with me over it. This is the house of the Lord. Jesus is the center of it all. I don't need to preach. I'm looking for preachers. I don't need to lead the worship. I'm looking for worship leaders. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. When we adopt that kind of posture, we are working with the kingdom to extend the power of love to broken individuals who do not even believe that God could use them at all. It's the opposite to the world, and trust me, I've stood alongside some incredible people on amazing stages throughout my life, and some of those people are the most phenomenal talents, but you know, talent fades. It passes. But when we glorify Jesus, when we magnify Jesus, when we call people higher, when we go searching and seeking to draw people up into the plan or the purpose of God for their lives, you will find that whatever you do to that person will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing because God is looking for you to be a seeker just like he himself is a seeker. And we need a different mindset We need to think like Him and we need to respond like Him to the people around us. Can you imagine what kind of community it would be if we embraced fully the reality of what it means to live in the kingdom of honor? The kingdom of God where we prefer one another looking for the great thing in another person's life. Now I know I'm hitting some things in our hearts because some of us are still waiting to be discovered. When will I, will I be? We're still looking for it. And it's been a long time coming. Do you know what's driving your life is a need for significance? And trust me, as a man who's older, you can attain everything the world says to you will make you somebody and still feel like nobody on the inside. Does it really matter eternally what house you live on? (laughs) Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, your heart also will be. Jesus is reminding us that this is all temporal. This will all pass. Even this sermon will pass. Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> Awkward moments are familiar to me because when you speak truth, all kinds of things need to happen in people's hearts. Even at churches, I've, I've, sorry to be critical about things, I'm not trying to be critical, but I see people bigging up the numbers that come to their church. You know, you'd think some people had a church of 10,000 people and you get to it and there's 35 people there. There's wannabes, not wallabies, wannabes in the kingdom of God. And guess what? Here's what the Lord says about that. I will resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. We don't want the spirit of Babel where we're trying to make a name for ourselves. And we certainly don't want God to bring the house down as a result of that kind of orientation. We want his kingdom to come. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to good, honest relationship with people where I'm able to speak over someone's life and call out the greatness in them. Aren't you looking forward to that? I'm delighted to be part of a community where I don't need to be the one on show, where Jesus is seen in every heart and every life. I'm looking forward to the end time church where we have such a clarity about some of these matters, where people are leaving outside of the building and outside of their own lives and thinking a culture that is all about me, when actually the better place for it to be is to be all about Jesus. Have this mindset among you. Honor requires us to see things differently. In fact, everything in the kingdom can only truly be embraced when we have a renewed mind. Our minds have been conditioned by a world system, but God's word and the ministry of his Holy Spirit will bring absolutely new thinking. He points to the center of his thought here, And the example that for all of us speaks in a thousand ways. He says, This mindset is found in Christ. It says, In Christ is my position. In other words, if you want to know how this looks, if you want to know how this kingdom works, take a long, hard look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who modeled it for us so perfectly and so profoundly. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. A very interesting phrase because he was equal with God. But he chose to take upon himself the very guise of a servant and become a servant even unto death. And not just death, but death on a cross. When the Apostle Paul writes these words, for me to live is Christ, we all go hallelujah. Because we want to live in the fullness of Jesus. But the key to living in the fullness of Jesus is dying to self. No longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. Paul is reminding us of the death experience he's had, of all of his ambitions and all of his presumptions and all of his ideologies and all of the culture that he embraced where he was somebody, by the way, and he wasn't just somebody. He was a real somebody, but he gave all of that up. He considered it trash in comparison to the treasure of loving and serving and being with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus says everything we need to know about how to access the blessing of honor and the kingdom that is set before us. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself even unto death on a cross. I want to tell you that through these words, Paul is reminding us of this, that Jesus is at the center of this new reformation. Though he was God, he left behind some of those powerful, exalted places and came amongst us. He came amongst us as a man, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now what I thought when I was preparing this was, What Jesus is showing us is what honor looks like. Let me explain it to you. It's the most remarkable thing to realize this. And forgive me if I get emotional. But God honored you when he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. It was the most remarkable moment in history. Because the God of the universes that you weren't happy with and didn't even follow or like, Stoop to this place to give his life to you. That is the most remarkable representation and reflection of the heart of God to humanity. In those moments, those descending moments from heaven to come and be amongst us here on earth, and the dying on the cross and raising back to new life and ascension to heaven, Jesus modeled to us what honor really looks like. Here's what it says. It says this, That Jesus, the King of glory, stooped down into my story so that I can be caught up in his story and therefore experience his glory. Jesus honored me when he died for me. He showed me what honor truly looks like. Honor truly begins in how God treated you and me. If I have a revelation that I am highly honored by God to be given new life through Christ, I will start to see the world differently. I will start to value people differently. He was crowned. He was crowned in glory, but he left behind all of that so that he could honor you by spilling his blood on this planet to redeem you from your sin. And you didn't even like him or know him or want him. But God, in a great moment in history, stooped down and raised you to life and raised you to glory. How honoring was God to you. How honoring is God to humanity that he would do such a remarkable thing, knowing full well that even though we've experienced it, we may not fully embrace it or even truly live in the fullness thereof. The Bible tells us that God gives more honor to people within the body of Christ who seem to lack it. I can't get my head around that because in a world where we value talent or promotion or experience or or expertise, God seems to honor those who are the weaker ones amongst us. God honors us by consistently pouring out his spirit upon our lives. You don't believe for one second do you that you deserve this you haven't bought into the notion that you were worth it but from the foundations of the earth he knew you and he desired to honor you by giving his life sacrificially for you in romans 12 verse 10 it says this as a result of that give preference to one another in honor I'm gonna land this plane because I promised myself I wouldn't preach longer than a half an hour. You can congratulate me if you like. (laughs) Because if you don't, I will. (laughs) God's heart for his church is that we would reflect the Trinity. We would leave behind the culture of this world where we feel we have to strive to be somebody, and we'd come into the presence of the Most High God and allow Jesus to have it all. God's desire is that we wouldn't strive with one another or compete with one another, but we would prefer one another, looking for the gold, the treasure perhaps sometimes, that's hidden, sadly in my life, inside the trash. You see, when I look at a person, I sometimes see dirt, But here's the kingdom of God, he always sees soil. And soil has the greatest potential when the seed of life is planted in it to grow up into something absolutely majestic. God's desire is that we would so honor him and be honored by him, that's true, that we would honor one another And as we honor one another and him and be honored by him, his spirit would move in power because there'd be no other agenda but the kingdom coming and the will of God coming to pass. God's desire is that we stop fighting and we start feasting on the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the glory of the God who honored us sacrificially. I believe a culture of honor is necessary to sustain and to attract a move of the Holy Spirit. And without it, we will just have moments where God touches, but not a movement of God that impacts us so greatly that it turns up in our world as we honor people outside of here. Would you stand with me, please, as we close? Father, you have bestowed upon your church a crown of honor. In your greatness, you became weak, so that in our weakness we may become great. Not great as the world sees it, but hearts and lives, Lord, that are turned over and turned inside out to seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, knowing that everything else we worry ourselves about somehow, because you're good, will be added to us. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you have honored us by giving your life for us. Why don't you thank him for that? We thank you, Jesus, that you have modeled honor to us by stepping out of your glory and into our story. Why don't you thank him for that? And we thank you, Jesus, for your new kingdom reality where we can leave behind our selfish ambition or conceit and in true humility, not false humility, count others more significant than ourselves. For as we elevate our brother, we elevate your body, Father. As we celebrate one another, Lord, we celebrate your goodness, As we look for treasure in other people, Father, your glory will come over the house of God. And Lord, we don't want to have our interests at the fore, we want your interests and the interests of others. And you always love people, so Father, when we're interested in other people, we are functioning in your interests. But Jesus, I can't catch my breath that you would honor me by dying for me. I just can't get my head around that reality. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, the servant king, would remind us over and over and over again that you came from heaven to earth so that heaven could come to earth, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that we, your people, would center our hearts around that truth and live, Father, in the new culture that you've afforded to us. We leave behind selfish ambition and vain conceit. And we ask you to renew our minds, Lord, where we see things the way you want us to see them. We want to live like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. And we want to see people the way Jesus wants us to see people. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you, Jesus, you at the center of it all. Oh. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my life, from beginning to the end. Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you. And Lord, make this more than a sentiment, more than an idea, Father, more than a hope or an expectation. Make this a reality amongst your people. As we honor you and we honor each other, Lord. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a wonderful week. They're going to carry on worshiping, but if you need to go, please do.